Welcome to the Hudson Wesleyan Church Podcast, a recording of the weekly messages of Pastor Wesley Rowan during the Sunday worship service. We trust the time you spend listening will enhance your relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, here is Pastor Wes. I want to read to you a couple of verses of Scripture that are familiar, but I'm going to read them to you from a different translation this morning. I'm going to read them to you from the New Living Translation. In 1 John chapter 4, it says this, starting with verse 9. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. I want to pair that with a passage from the same John, but now in his gospel account of chapter 3, Verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. How many of you have your Christmas shopping all done? All done. Okay, put your hands down. We don't want to hear from you. (laughs) How many of you are hoping to have your Christmas shopping done, let's say, by Saturday? How many of you are hoping to have your Christmas shopping done by Epiphany or sometime at the end of January? All right, those are my people. Those are my people. When you're getting Christmas gifts for people, there's a couple of things that you take into account, right? You take into account your relationship with that person, right? We tend to spend a little more time and money on people the closer that they are to us, sure. You also take into account that person's likes or dislikes to the extent that you know them, right? If you know that someone is allergic to to, uh, certain types of nuts or something like that, you probably don't go out and buy them a big bin of them for Christmas if you're aware of, of their problem. So you take into account your relationship, you take into account their likes or dislikes or maybe their needs, right? Some people, you ask them what they want for Christmas and they tell you things that they would like. There's another category of people that you ask them what they want for Christmas and they tell you things that they need. And I've always wondered about that, because if you get somebody just something that they need for Christmas, then you feel like you're just performing a a perfunctory shopping trip for them. But there's something about a gift that fills a need, doesn't it? Oh, this person realized that I've got something that I'm missing, and they were willing to fill that void for me. We give gifts to people, sometimes out of obligation, let's be honest with each other, Sometimes out of reciprocity, 
You ever had somebody give you a gift and you realize that you hadn't bought them anything? And you just hope that they were like four or five days early. So that gave you time to go out and get them something. And you may or may not have said, oh, oh, I'll, I'll get you yours the next time we're together as if you had it sitting home under the tree already wrapped. But that night you found yourself at Walmart trying to find something for them. Sometimes we give gifts out of reciprocity. Someone gives you something, so you get them something. It's okay. Nothing wrong with that. But most often, why do we get gifts for people? Out of relationship. We care for them. We want them to enjoy whatever the thing is. We want them to have an experience of that happiness. Today we're talking about love, and we're talking about the love of a God who looked at his people. He looked at his creation, and he saw not just what they were in desire of, peace and comfort, but he saw what they were in need of, hope, salvation. And so John, who is the author in Scripture who seems to most capture the essence of why Jesus came, we see glimpses of it in Paul's writing, certainly in the other Gospels, but John really seems, having walked with Jesus, seems to have wrapped his mind around it. John picks up on this gift-giving reality that is an act based on relationship. Some of the people that you buy gifts for, your relationship with them is professional. You know them through work, or you know them uh, maybe through some uh, business transaction or something like that. Some of the people you buy gifts for, your relationship with them is communal. They go to your church, you're, you're in Kiwanis together, you, your kids go to school together, or something like that. Some of the people that you buy gifts for, your relationship with them is more intimate. It's a family member, a loved one, someone close to you. Well, John picks up on the idea that God's gift of love to us is based on relationship. That he would love his creation. You see, the real miracle of the idea of creation and then advent is not that God could create the world. I mean, that in and of itself is impressive, but that's not the real miracle. It's that God would love the world. What do you usually do with things that you create that don't turn out very well? Anybody else have a scrap heap at their house? Right? The projects that didn't quite turn out. How many of you, uh, now I don't know anything about this. I watched the ladies doing a lot of it leading up to the Christmas program, but I understand with sewing that you usually end up with a pile of the extra things, right? The, either they didn't turn out right or you had to cut them off, your, your scraps, your cloth, you know, what have you, okay? So what do, what do you do with the things that don't turn out very well? Do you feel passionate about them? Do you feel tied to them? Do you feel drawn to them? What did God do with his creation that did not turn out very well? He loved it. He was drawn to it. 
He cared about it. He was pulled towards it. And so he gives us the perfect gift. Has anyone ever told you that you got them the perfect gift before? Perfect? The perfect gift. I, that's, a, that's a tough one, you know? I told Carrie she's already married to me. I don't know how many more perfect gifts I can get for her. Perfect gifts. They understood exactly what you wanted. God gives to us his perfect gift. But what does he give to us? What he gives to us is not just a baby born in a manger. That's not very impressive, right? I mean, there's lots of babies that were born. In fact, there were a lot of babies born around the time Jesus was born. So God's perfect gift to us is not just a baby born in a manger. Carrie used this phrase in what she read earlier, the idea of the manger being in the shadow or in the, with, in the mindset of the cross. That the manger only matters because of what that baby came to do, to die for us, to save us from our sins. And so when I'm thinking about the word love and I'm thinking about what it means to love someone enough to give them the perfect gift and God's love and focus on us to give us exactly what we needed, I thought love is really a verb. Now, if you grew up in Christianity in the 1990s, that you, you're immediately having, having flashbacks and maybe convulsions to some certain uh, DC talk, <laughs> Christian rap music, Okay. I'm not going to quote it, I'm not going to sing it, but I just want to give recognition to the fact that it's there. But love is a verb, but I would go a step farther. Love, and I've, I think I've said this before, but I, but I want to revisit it. Love is not just an action. Love is a state of being. Now, I'm going to ask you to do a favor for me. I want you to think way, way, way on back to English class in school. There's two different types of verbs, right? You've got, the, you've got the ones that are easy, right, to pick out of a sentence. The action, right? Walk, run, talk. These are things we do. The ones that I always struggled to pick out of the sentence anymore, or when I, when I, was, in, when I was in school and we had to diagram the sentences, you remember sentence diagramming? That was always enjoyable. The ones that were toughest to pick out were when it wasn't an obvious action, right? They were states of being, right? So God is, that's a state of being. It's not saying he's doing something, it's saying that he exists in a state, okay? When Jesus asked about his identity, and he says, I am. It's a state of being. So when I get to thinking about love, the scriptures tell us that God is love. It is the state in which he exists. God is love. So let's talk about how God has shown us his love and what he does for us. Think. God was love before the creation of the world. Right? 
In fact, we could say that his creation was his first act of love. I can remember early on, I think, in our marriage, Carrie decided she was going to make a tree skirt for her mother. Was it your mom? Oh, she's having flashbacks. This was a, a skirt to go around your Christmas tree, and it was, it was one with sequins. Yeah, yeah. There was a, a multi-layered design. And it had sequins that like went around and made the, the outlines of like a Christmas tree, you know, and it was it was pretty and, and I remember she worked on it and worked on it and worked on it and worked on it and worked on it. I mean she started way, way before Christmas. And she worked on it forever and finally got the first Christmas tree done of the pattern. And I remember, I don't know if your mom's going to watch this service or not, so I'm going to be careful. <laughs> but I remember the, just the, the long hours and the frustration and just try, trying to deal with all the little pieces of it. And I've always kind of remembered that and thought about that as an example of doing a project or making a gift because you wanted the person to really enjoy it because you cared about them, you loved them. Because it's much quicker and much less stress to just go pick one out and buy it. And I'm not saying we didn't end up doing that anyway. I don't think we did. I think she, I think she finished it by the next Christmas. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, she worked very, 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 very long hours to get it done. But it would have been easier just to say, you know what, it's too much work. Or I'm going to go get something else. And we've all had things like that in our life, Right? But why do we press forward with doing the thing that is not necessarily the easiest thing to do? Why do we create some things that are meaningful? It's because of our love, our care, our desire. God's creation for, of, of humanity was an act of love. Why did he create? Let us make man in our image. Let us interact with him. Let us have community. Here's the problem. When mankind was turned loose to operate on his own preferences, he turned his back on God. Now, if it's you or me, that's where humanity ends up in the scrap pile. Forget it. But God is love, right? It's a state of his existence. And he looks at what was worthy only for the scrap pile at that point with a burning desire of love that is based on his being. So his action that we see in Christmas and we see it in Easter and we see it in, in the prophecies of Revelation his action of love is based on his existence in love with us. Now, we go through different phases in our lives, don't we? We have different phases of life represented here in this congregation this morning. 
But I want to tell you very simply that God's love for you, his action based on his state of being, is geared towards you no matter what phase of life you're in. Maybe you're in the childhood phase of life or you have people in your life who are in the childhood phase of life. Just starting to learn how the world works and how things go together and how to trust and how to learn. That stuff's all just coming in. The beautiful message of God's love for us is that he says that it is little children who best grasp what love is. Why? Why, Jesus, let the little children come to me? Do not forbid them. For this is what the kingdom of heaven is really all about, he says. Why? Because in the children, God sees played out again the extreme relationship between himself and his creation. When an adult interacts with a child, there's a huge gap, right? In understanding, in behavior, in experience, in knowledge, and all of these things. That's just a sliver of what the gap looks like between us and God. And yet a child learns, learns to trust, learns to interact, learns to imitate their parents, the adults in their lives. When we are at that stage of everything is new and, 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 and uncertain at times, God loves us. He's right there. He's not waiting for us to mature and grow up and understand it all. He loves us. When we're in our adolescent years, where nothing seems to make sense, and we're trying to sort out the pecking order, and we're trying to, we're trying to understand our place in the world and our identity and all of these things. God is there as someone who came to earth and went through those years in physical form himself. He's there. And when nobody understands you, and sometimes we sort of chuckle a little bit about how in those teenage years, you know, we think nobody gets it, nobody understands us. And, but let's, let's face the reality that, that is something that we, we all struggle with, sometimes just in adolescent years and sometimes on into adulthood, of wondering, does anybody understand? Does anybody get me? In my own frustrations and being overwhelmed, is anyone there? And the God of the universe looks at us in those phases of life and says, I'm here. You don't have to become an adult before I care about you. You don't have to just adopt me because I'm your parent's God or your parents' religion. I love you and care about you when you are at school, when you are at home, when you are in, in frustration, when you are celebrating, when you're up, when you're down. I love you and I care about you. And it's evidenced in the fact that I would send my own son to go through the years that you are going through. In our young adult years where we're trying to figure out relationships and career and where, where what's the world going to look like for us and how do we make our own way and those bills start coming in that mom and dad aren't going to pay anymore and all that stuff starts to happen and we're trying to figure out, do I have what it takes to be an individual and to be an adult and we feel in some ways at the same time 
We feel like we are invincible and we also feel like we are teetering on the brink of not being able to survive. And those years and those moments, again, which sometimes last long into adulthood, are sometimes come back and revisit us at different places in adulthood. The God of the universe is not just loving you enough to do something about it. He's loving you enough to say, I am the existence of everything that you need. I am there for you. When you don't know what the next step is, I'm going to be with you. When you walk through darkness, when you go through difficulty, when you're trying to sort it out, when you're looking for guidance and wisdom about where you're supposed to end up in life and you're scared to death that you're going to mess it up or that people will think that you aren't really up to the challenge or not take you seriously enough. I love you. I'm right there with you. As we move farther into the adulting years of kind of established maybe career or relationships, maybe parenting or other family relationships, and we realize just how much is out of our control. When we're young, foolishly, we kind of think everything's under our control, right? We reach those middle years and we realize just how little we have a grip on. And we start to wonder how, not at this phase of life, not just how am I going to make it, but what about the people I'm responsible for? What about my loved ones? What about my kids? What about people that I'm responsible for in my career? We start to feel the weight of that responsibility and we say, usually in the very dark, private moments of our own heart, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know what the answers are. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. The God of the universe is loving us. He is right there with us. It is his state of being. We move on in years and start to see the fulfillment of a lot of things that we had hoped for. And sometimes those fulfillments are very exciting and very encouraging, and sometimes they're not. We start to see, if you follow the normal cycle of life, we start to see a lot more loss in our lives of people that are close to us. We start to see the transition of generations. And we start to wonder if the pain and the hurt that we feel is just the reality that we were always managing to escape, but now it's here. The frustration over not having accomplished maybe the things we thought we would have accomplished by that point in life, the places we haven't gone, the career that hasn't panned out, the family that maybe is not what we wanted it to be the imperfections of life. And the God of the universe is still saying, but I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I love you. We reach a phase of life in the providence of God, perhaps, where we're doing much more looking behind than looking forward. Maybe with joyous celebration, maybe with regret. 
and we wonder, could I have done more? Could I have been better? Could I have more reflected Christ? Did I miss opportunities? Am I not going to get them again? And the God of the universe is saying, but I love you. And in your weakness, I am going to be strong. I am all that you need. And this is just beginning. This is the state of God's being that he loves us. But it's not just that he is love. It's that he does things that are loving. Hear me, my friends. Children, adolescents, young adults, adults, senior adults, we all have areas that we wonder and we question about and we need the assurance of a God that loves us, like Jen was reading for us this morning. But we also all need something more profound than that. The angels did not come to sing over the birth of Christ because it would make for good Christmas songs. The wise men did not travel to worship because it would add nice parts to a story. Jesus wasn't born in a manger because it would make for a very beautiful Christmas card painting. No, no, no. The act of the advent was because God had to act because we were lost without him. The whole world was lost in the darkness of sin, but the light of the world is Jesus. And so John, we go back to pick up on this theme that he says, God, this is how much he would love us, that he would send his one and only son into the world not so that we could have Christmas, not so that we could have a manger, not so that we could have good songs to sing. Why did God send his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him? And I won't linger on this point long, but I want to remind you again, this is not just saying so that someday we won't have to die. Someday we will live forever in heaven. That's not just the eternal life that John is talking about. John is talking about an eternal kind of life that comes to us even now so that our life here is reflective of the God that is eternal. Do you understand? We're not hanging on for that day. We are living out a kingdom existence here and now. And so, dear friends, John says, because God has loved us this much, we surely ought to love each other. Can we admit during Christmas, during the holidays, it's not always easy to love? We might feel love, we might feel warm, we might feel comforted, but it's not always easy to love. The world is broken. People do awful things. There's hurt. There's pain. And yet John calls us to imitate the God of love by being loving ourselves. Well, what does that mean? Well, God is still a God of truth. He's still a God of justice. He's still a God of righteousness. But he's a God who sees the whole picture. 
Aren't you glad, as it says elsewhere in Scripture, that God has not dealt with us based on our iniquities or our transgressions or our sins? You see, we shouldn't even have a Christmas to celebrate. We shouldn't have a manger. We shouldn't have a cross. What we should have is hopeless separation from God. That's what we ought to have. But it's not what he's given to us. So this week, if your situation is like most people, you're going to have experiences that are very warm and, and, and very encouraging, and you're going to have moments of real pain and darkness, whether it's a darkness that you're facing now or whether it's a darkness that you have had to face repeatedly, maybe because of loss. But in all of that, I just want to remind you, one, God is love, and so he loves you. He is there with you. He is near to you. That's the first thing. And the second thing I want to remind you of is that because of what he did in his love, he calls us to love as well. Is it easy? No. Do we always get it right? Probably not. Are we going to make mistakes and fall short? It may be true. But he still calls us to love. He still calls us to imitate him. And to celebrate what Christmas really is, the love of God. Let's pray. Lord, we admit that we are not always the examples of love that we ought to be. But we are thankful that you are faithful and that you and your existence as love are patient with us. Now, Lord, in the days to come leading up to Christmas, there will be many high points. There will be many low points, probably. There will be times of celebration and times of sorrow. But may we find you in each one of them near to us, reminding us that you love us. And may we then share that light and that love with the people around us. We thank you for this season. We thank you for all that you do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This message is a ministry of Hudson Wesleyan Church, where our mission is to see lives transformed for the glory of God. For more information, you may contact the church at 517-448-6411 or at hudsonwesleyan.org. Thank you for listening, and may God richly bless you.